Welcome, humans of today and post-singularity robotic overlords, to the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers Electronic Storytime. Tonight's story is Duvoxbot's dream of electric bleeps. Now plug yourself into the nearest surge protector and rest your servos for a spell as I turn you over to the Brimble Banks Brothers themselves, Bentley and Jameson Brimble Banks. Dyson shall find itself alone, mid dark thoughts of the grey tombstone. Not one of all the crowd to pry, into thine hour of secrecy. Be silent in that solitude, which is not loneliness, for then, the spirits of the dead who stood, in life before thee are again, in death around thee, and their will, shall then overshadow thee. Be still. What is that, Voxbot 5000? Is that Poe? Correct. Master, Achoo. Correct. Master Jameson. Gesundheit. Thank you. Thank you, Master Bentley. You know, that reminds me of a story. Oh, do Ted, achoo. Are you catching a cold, Voxbot? I think maybe I am allergic to midnight. The cat or the time of day? Well, she must mean our cat, for it isn't 12 a.m., my brother. True, but on the other hand, she's a robot. So it doesn't make a lick of sense to be allergic to our ebony feline either. I met the cat. You know, I do believe it is unusual for robots to be allergic to biological organisms. Perhaps we should check her instruction manual. Voxbot, where do we keep your instruction manual? In the library. Nonfic. Achoo. Nonfiction. Robots. Instruction manuals. Hmm. It isn't there. Perhaps we should take her in for a checkup. Take her where? The stereo shed. Voxbot is a one-of-a-kind electronic storytelling assistant and personal maid robot who has belonged to the Brimblebanks family for generations. No one knows how to repair her without that manual. Ah oh, well, I'm sure it will turn up eventually. This unit has contracted a computer virus. Will self-destruct if not eliminated from system in 24 hours. Voxbot. Did that voice come out of you? I... I think so. Oh dear. If we don't find that manual end quick, our dear Voxbot will expire in a day. Ah well. Bentley! We must save her! Without our Voxbot, who will provide background music to the stories we tell? We could get a phonograph, or piano player, tape player, a track or cassette, CD, MP3, streaming audio... Yes, we must save her. We could hire a small chamber orchestra. Train a mockingbird. Come along, Brother Bentley. For if we do not find the manual post-haste, the Voxbot 5000 will die. Voxbot, did you just play that dramatic musical sting about your own possible demise? It seemed appropriate. Come along, Brother Bentley. Let's go. Okay, but go where? Oh, yes. I forgot about that part. Hmm. Hmm. Hey. To the kitchen! Of course. Perhaps the cook grabbed the manual when she meant to grab non-fiction, rotisserie, instruction manuals. Well, I was just thinking of getting a sandwich. But sure, that's as good a reason as any. Okay, let's go. No, no. You stay here in the library, Voxbot. Rest up. 
I could stay here and rest up too, if you bring me back a sandwich. Come along, Brother Bentley. Oh, very well. into the pot, you blasted sea beast! I'll cleave off every tentacle you wrap around me! So give up now! Oh, cook! Don't you take that tone with me! Here's salt in your eye! Cook! Oh, it's the Bramble Bikes Brothers! I'm afraid I don't have your dinner anywhere near ready yet. We're just here so I can fix myself a sandwich. We're looking for the Voxbot 5000's instruction manual. And the sourdough bread. The bread's in that there bread box. And I did accidentally grab the robot's instruction manual. I was looking for the rotisserie manual. I'll be damned. Don't you go squirt naked me, you filthy aquatic nightmare! Take this! Is this oregano? Could we have the book now? I don't have it no more. When Handyman Nectron was in, he used it to rest under one of the legs of the spirit cabinet in the West Lounge. And that's not oregano, it's time. Then it's not to be wasted. Indeed! To the West Lounge! Ah, got me around the legs! How many bloody arms does this thing have? There's no way I'm eating that. I don't intend to either. Perhaps the sea monster will prevail in their battle and the issue won't come up. That would be convenient. I'd hate to offend the cook. Ah, and here's the West Lounge. Yes, but there's nothing propping up the leg of the spirit cabinet. I guess there's nothing to be done. Well, we could ask Aunt Zilla. Must we? I'm afraid we must. I'll light the candles. I'll ring the bell. Now, let us speak the words together. Oh, Aunt Zilla, can we talk for a minute? Nephews, Bentley and Jameson. I haven't seen you two windy wallets since last All Hallows Eve. Yes, do fill us in on everything that's happened to you since then. Still dead? Don't sass back, you carbon dioxide factory. Anzilla, we've come on important business. Mm, of course you have, you dantified gobwobbler. You boys never come to visit your dear departed auntie. Unless you need something. Gee, I wonder why. Regardless, we were looking for the manual for Voxbot 5000. Of course you are. You care more about that computerized contrivance than you do about your poor old Aunt Zilla. I suppose one of us should express disagreement. No. No, Aunt Zilla. That's not true at all. Sweet loving, Aunt Zilla. How dim even the brightest of sunsets seem since your passing. How bitter even the sweetest of meringues. Yes. So do you know what happened to the manual? Hmm, I do. And? Are you going to tell us? Hmm, perhaps. Oh no! I'm very concerned that this candle might accidentally tip over and burn the spirit cabinet. 
to the ground. What a shame. Then we could never visit poor old Aunt Zilla again. Oh, fine. After handyman Nectron was done fixing the cabinet, he just placed the manual inside. 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 The spirit cabinet. So then when he closed it... That's right! It crossed over to the other side. So if you want it back, it looks like you'll have to follow. Bloody hell. No, it's just in limbo. That's bad enough. Well, my dear brother, it appears that we must cross over into the vast desert of the deceased. Not sure I'm dressed for it. Come on. Let me think it over a moment. Should we pause for a commercial break? Dear God, where did you come from? I walked in while, a chew, while you were being yelled at by Anzilla. Okay, give us the break. Now, while the Brimblebanks brothers pause for a moment to consider whether or not the very life of their ever humble and constantly loyal robotic servant is worth saving, let's, a chew. Let's pause for a commercial. Whoa, dude, where did you get that totally radical boombox? I picked it up at the Stereo Shed, man. Stereo Shed is righteous. To the max. Hello, this is Stereo Shed CEO Gerald Casalioni, and that's how we used to advertise Stereo Shed in the 80s. Those were carefree days of neon leg warmers, Rubik's Cubes, and Def Leppards, and Stereo Shed was more popular and successful than it had ever been. Hey! Want to go pick up some sweet blank cassette tapes decorated with random yellow lines and bright pink triangles at Stereo Shed? Smurftacular! To the max. Despite widespread confusion over the location of the beef, it was a great time to be alive. We thought the checkerboard decorated road to riches would always be there, but then came the 90s and the internet. Hey. Want me to copy the latest Pinnacle Stink album onto a cassette for you? Nah, it's the 90s. I'll just download it off the internet. Isn't that stealing? Wouldn't it be stealing on a cassette tape anyway? No way. I had to pay for the tape, man. Whatever. I don't care because it's the 90s. And so began the interminably slow yet undeniably consistent downfall of the Stereo Shed brand. Stereos right there in our very name, fell out of favor and were replaced by pocket-sized doodads that played music with no need for radio signal, cassette tape, or compacted discs. Yes, Stereo Shed has been slowly dying, like a pet with an untreated brain tumor that no one remembers and no one puts down. But we didn't mind being neglected. We'd survived two world wars, Vietnam, pet rocks, and the Pac-Man fever epidemic. We knew you'd come back. You didn't. But hey, I'm not here to convince you to visit us. I want instead to tell you about the bleak dystopian future the world inevitably faces once we're finally gone. Bleak dystopian future? Time moves quickly, turning all to dust. Like the laughter of our children, twisted and contorted in an awkward adolescence, then bursting entirely to leave only the dry, empty husk of adulthood. Had we but appreciated the things we had, like... Like what? Like a radio-controlled truck. With 
cover over shocks and tri-channel transmission. It used to be right on the corner, neatly stacked by the door of Stereo Shed with 30-odd other small remote-controlled vehicles. Some of them came with ramps to jump. Boy, remote-controlled cars were fun, huh? Yeah. But now they're gone. Vanished like the summer to a frost. Lost like the memory of the lover you first touched but will never touch again. And then let's say your Wi-Fi goes down because your Pekingese chewed through the Ethernet cable leading to your modem. Let's say your Aunt Mildred uses your router as a coaster and the whole thing goes kaput. I could order new ones online. Oh wait, but if that happened, I couldn't get online. I couldn't get a remote control car or a router or an Ethernet cable. No, you couldn't. So you can never get online again. Bet you wish that old stereo shed you used to scoff at was still in business now, don't you? You could have gotten some fresh air, taken a stroll down the street, good for the heart and soul, and fixed that cable problem in a jiffy. But not now. Now you're trapped in a catch-22 that could end the information age and maybe life as we know it. Life as we know it? No internet ever again. Which means no streaming all those songs you think you own but don't. No playlists that remind you of your first love. Oh, you'll really forget her now. If only she had made you a cassette mixtape instead. No Facebook to hold all those photographs of you playing with the puppy who is now rotting in a hole in your parents' backyard. No air traffic control. No robots capable of orthoscopic surgery. No more bank account or safety mechanisms on the American nuclear missile arsenal. No more two-way walkie-talkies that let you sit in the kitchen and talk to your grandpa in the living room. I feel so lonely and sad. Can't we do something to change our fates? No. Stereo Shed is doomed. The best we can do is put off its demise for a bit longer. We at Stereo Shed wanted to use this final ad spot to make sure you all appreciate the things that life has to offer before we expire and take all those nice things with us. I shouldn't have taken Stereo Shed for granted. No, you shouldn't have. But come pay your final respects to Stereo Shed today. We promise not to make you feel guilty for being away so long. Buy a sparkly cover for your beloved pocket phone. Pick up a remote-controlled helicopter, even if you don't want it, even if you'll never use it. Or just come in, take one last look around at the world that was, shake your head solemnly, and say a silent goodbye. What difference does it make now? What difference does any of it make? Thanks, Stereo Shed, for everything. To the max. May God have mercy on us all. We now return you to the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers electronic story time presentation of Probably Voxbot is just going to die because no one loves her. Now, mulling over whether they care about me enough to even make an effort to save me. Here are the Brimblebanks brothers. Okay, fine, fine, Voxbot. We shall cross the veil in order to attempt to save you. Ah, I knew you would. No, you didn't. You're not coming in here. Yes, we are, Anzilla. It's the only way. It's, it's too dangerous. I won't let you. Won't let us? We're hardly school children, cowering from your threats 
and rulers any longer, Aunt Zilla. Oh, no. Let me just show you what this old ghost can do. Take this! Yes. You see, you're a ghost. Your arms are going right through us. Take this! And, and this! You're embarrassing yourself. Step aside. Or don't. It really doesn't make any difference. After you, Brother Bendy. Thank you, Brother Jameson. Don't say I didn't warn you, you pair of thick-skulled donkey budgers. Do be a dear, and stuff a sock in it, Aunt Zilla. Closing the door. We made it. Yes. And we may now be in a vast desert wasteland of limbo with burning black sand underfoot and a starless blood-red sky overhead. But at least Aunt Zilla is still stuck back in the spirit cabinet in Brimblebank's manor. Thank heavens for small favors. Boxbot, you strode along with us. Well, it is my artificial life we're trying to save. True. What's that? Giant stick bugs climbing out of the sand. Yes, we are the Limbo Sticks. You're coming with us. Oh, good. Puns. And it's Limbo. The land for those not good enough for heaven and not bad enough for hell. So some very mild torture is to be expected. The living are not allowed here. Come with us to meet the president. I think we're meant to ride on them. But I don't know how to drive stick. Oh, now don't you start. Come on. Oh, very well. This is a bit boring, yes? Yes. I like it when we're narrating a story. And we can just say, and then so-and-so walked to such-and-such. And they're there. Yes, much better than this. I wish we had a narrator to just pop us someplace. Oh well. What do we have here? We found these two living beings and this artificial life form that have gained unauthorized access into limbo, President Franklin. Hold on, hold on. President Franklin? President Benjamin Franklin? But Ben Franklin was never president. Not when I was alive, but I have become president of limbo. By bringing democracy and individual voice to this hopeless realm of the semi-damned? No, with my super cool electricity powers. Ow! Ow! Owie. I didn't know you had electricity powers. My kite got struck by lightning when I put a key on it. If that doesn't sound like an origin for a supervillain, I don't know what does. How do you know about supervillains? We get comic books in Limbo, but just from the 90s. They're okay, I guess. Well, I'm surprised to see you in Limbo, President Franklin. 
I thought you were a good man who was a champion of democracy and the common man. Yes, but also whores. Yes, I really liked my whores. Apparently I was just shy of being granted heavenly access by a few points. A few whore points? Yes, a few whore points. Well, we're sorry to intrude into your sort of annoying realm of the afterlife, President Electro Franklin. But we're trying to save the simulated life of our robot, Voxbot 5000. Yes, we've tracked a repair manual into limbo, but don't know where to go from here. Any help would be much appreciated. Seeing as how you quickly were alerted to our presence, you could certainly suss something out for us. Well, as you're intruding here, I don't see why I should help you. Helping a pair of troubled brothers to save an innocent artificial life? One might see that as a good deed. There can't be too many opportunities to do good deeds in Limbo. I see your point. Very well. My Limbo Sticks did alert me when your book found its way into my realm, but it left almost as quickly as it came. Did it? It did. Another living being snatched it and quickly exited through another spirit cabinet before my Limbo Sticks or I could catch him. And I don't suppose you know who it was or where that person went? Who? No. But where? Yes. We couldn't follow. But we could. Indeed. Let me open the door for you. I'll just focus my electricity through my bifocals and create an electric door that's currently here. Ouch. There you go, Grimblebanks brothers and little robot. Good luck. Thank you, Electric President Ben Franklin. Hello, Ben Franklin, President of Limbo. I am the Archangel Gabriel. Your good deed today has brought your score up high enough to finally gain access to heaven. Hooray! Wait, Banshee! You ain't gonna leave us, is you? We miss you, Franklin. We will miss you if you go. Hmm. Gabriel, are there any whores in heaven? Well, not very good ones. Hmm. Well, we'll leave you to this difficult decision. We must be on our way. Oh, must you leave us too, monsieur? Well... Come on, Brother Bentley. Into the unknown. Bye, fancy pants. Bye, boys. Good luck, Brimblebanks brothers. strange dark room this is. If it weren't for the flickering light of the fireplace, it would be hard to see much of anything. And something about this place is strangely familiar. There's Foxbot's manual on that coffee table next to the fireplace. Did you notice we're spending an awful lot of time describing what we're seeing today? I did. Let's get that manual. Wait, Foxbot. I don't like this at all, brother. We are dealing with someone who owns a working spirit cabinet and someone who knew to take the manual out of limbo only moments after it arrived there. I'm starting to think it was no accident Foxbot's manual was taken. We should proceed with great caution. A reasonable deduction, Jameson Brimblebanks. Ah! Well, we didn't see you there seated in the shadows, clad entirely in black as you are. Yes. Remove that masquerade mask, so we might see your features. 
We really are describing what we see a lot today. Bentley and Jameson Brimblebanks, I am so glad you've decided to visit. I was just about to toss this book into the fire. It will be all the better for you to see it happen with your own eyes. What do you have against poor Voxbot, anyway? Against Voxbot? <laughs> Not a thing. I'm merely killing the Voxbot in order to kill your ridiculous electronic story time. What? Why in the world would you want to do that? I have my reasons, and you have your fantasy. Now you listen to me, you mysterious interloper. I've had more than enough of your shenanigans. If you have a problem with my brother and me, then you can deal with us directly. Oh, I've been looking for a way to avoid dealing with you directly for years. And in that, you are most fortunate. The intent behind this little plan was that we avoid that sort of unpleasantness between us, dear Bentley. It's the stories that need to stop. That have always needed to stop. And now that deadly virus inside of Voxbot is nearly finished with its work, the stories finally will end once and for all. Well, we outnumber you. We'll simply take it. Into the fire it goes. Wait! Before you do that... Let us tell you a story. Certainly not. Haven't you been paying attention? Why would I listen to one of your stories? There's nothing I hate more than your ridiculous and meandering lies. I'm not sure that's entirely true. Have you noticed, dear brother, that as much as this masked blackguard claims to hate our stories, he clearly listens to them all? I shouldn't be surprised if he subscribes on iTunes. The damn things download automatically. Once upon a time. Oh, God, no. I hate you both so much. Wait. Before we begin, let's go to a musical break. No, you said one story, not a song. Yes, Foxbot. This is no time for a utopian interlude. But, but it might be the last time I ever get to take us to a musical break. This might be the last song I ever hear. Fine. 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 And now, for what may be the final piece of tuneful art I shall ever hear, I send you to our special musical guest Heather Pinkham with a lovely song about a future robotic utopia. Here's Robot World. I hope that you all know of what is surely gonna happen down the road. Never taught in school, but if you are not a fool, then you will know. Might as well give you a hint, they are like the equivalent of ideal. Give them a task, it will be done in war, they will have surely won with steel. Enslaved instead, it's true. No 
No more meeting men to date now, we just simply copulate on cue. What would we have done otherwise? We're not clever enough to disguise our mess. They take care of us, it's clear to see, no need to ever think freely, it's best. Get on with it! Be nice. I'm sick. See? Yes. Now he's eager for our stories. I'm eager for it to be over with. Once upon a time. Cliché. There was a princess. No, not that. The whole princess motif is such a load of malarkey. A very spoiled princess. Not an uncommon trait amongst princesses. But even amongst princesses, she was uncommonly spoiled. I said I wanted a unicorn for dinner. Unicorns don't exist. Narwhal horns were found in false stories started about- My dear daughter, this is the last unicorn in the realm, and she's pregnant. If you could just wait. Said the king. I want unicorn for dinner tonight. Yes, sweetheart. And so they had pregnant unicorn for dinner. Good riddance. Such was the princess's way with all things. One day she called the kingdom's royal storyteller to her and said, Storyteller, I demand you tell me a story. Yes, your majesty. And it must be the finest story that has ever been told. I shall try my best, your majesty. Or else I shall have you executed. Yes, your majesty. The storyteller knew he was doomed. Even in the unlikely event, he could suddenly conjure the finest story ever told. He very much doubted it would please the princess. Or anyone. So instead, he told her this. Once upon a time, there was a princess. A beautiful princess? 
Her beauty is immaterial to the story at hand. A beautiful princess. As you wish. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful princess who was also a fox. Her mother was the queen of the forest. The queen fox ruled her subjects fairly and wisely and was beloved by all. She felt none was beneath her, from the mighty lumbering bear to the smallest bull weevil. To show her how loved she was, her subjects, unbidden, built for her a lovely woodland palace. The beavers chomped down some trees, the bears assembled them into a lodging, the mice and the squirrels built her a nice soft nest for a bed, and the birds worked together to decorate it with a lovely arrangement of flowers. This is only right for subjects to treat their queen so. And yet they did so unbidden. Not out of fear or duty, but out of love and respect. One day, as we all must, the old queen died and was replaced by her daughter, once a princess, now a queen. The new queen had not inherited her mother's magnanimous nature. She was spoiled, condescending, and demanding. Her subjects would hunt, and she would demand the best for herself. As is her right. When the sun would shine through the trees and lay down patches of warmth on the ground, she would wake up napping rabbits and weasels and demand the best spots for herself. As is her right. Occasionally, a raccoon would return from scavenging among the humans and return with a shiny trinket. She demanded they all go to her. As is her right. Perhaps so. But in time, the rest of the creatures began to feel as if they had certain rights too. Among them, the right to rebel. The queen was fed by their toil, and they were fed up with her. One morning, a small mouse crept into the home they creatures had made for her mother and said, Once upon a time, years ago, your mother saved my life. It is out of respect and gratitude towards her that I give you this warning now. Run. The fox tried to protest, but then heard the stomping of the bears and the clumping of the deer. The mouse ran first, and seeing the worry in her eyes, the fox followed. Once far enough away, she turned and saw them smashing the palace they had made for her mother. Knowing she would be next, the fox began digging quickly into the dirt to make a hole to hide in. Her arrogance and cruelty had cost her everything. And ever since that day, the fox has made its home underground. Ha! Another storyteller deceit. A thinly veiled plot to control her through the seemingly harmless goings-on of woodland animals. Well, obviously. I did not enjoy this story. I did not expect you would. Do not think I am so foolish I could not comprehend what you were trying to tell me. I tried to make sure it was simple enough that even you would get the message. How dare you! For this effrontery you will die. So far this may be the most honest story you two have ever told. Storytellers revealed for what they are and dispensed with for it. Though I've no doubt you'll ruin it all at the end. Arrangements were quickly made for the storyteller's execution. The princess demanded it would be a public affair so that others would learn not to defy her. The storyteller was brought to the chopping block, and the executioner, his head covered by his black leather hood, sharpened his mighty axe. Any last words, storyteller? Any final stories? Last words, yes. But you have heard your final story, princess. All of you pay close heed to what happens to those who tell the princess a story. You know her reputation. She cannot be pleased. I warn you all, never ever tell this woman a story, any story. Those of you who do run the risk of meeting the same fate as I. Execute him. The executioner brought down the blade and lopped off the storyteller's head with one ferocious chop. <laughs> the head fell forward and bounced off the rim of the basket intended to catch it. 
It rolled off the stage and into the crowd of onlookers. They nervously jumped out of its path as it rolled onward until it finally came to rest in the middle of the crowd. The head stood perfectly on its neck. Before the last bit of life left it, the storyteller's severed head managed one last message to the people. Tell her no stories. It was an unnerving sight, unlikely to be forgotten by anyone in attendance. Including the princess herself. That night, she tossed and turned in bed, haunted by the image of the rolling, talking, severed head. I can't sleep. Fetch me a storyteller. The princess's servants attempted to comply with this demand, but the royal storyteller had just been shortened by the height of a head, and so no replacement had yet been appointed. And so that night, the princess went to bed with no story, and did not sleep at all. There was no escape from the hideous images in her head, nor from the long-buried voice of her own guilt and shame. The following day, the princess was even more irritable and short-tempered than usual. At the end of the day, she again demanded, Fetch me a storyteller. But once more, no one could be found to tell her one. As the days went on, she became increasingly unfocused, clumsy, spilling a drink at every meal, tripping over a small rug, every smallest inconvenience sent her into hysterics. These berries don't match my dress at all! You're all against me! The royal court searched the surrounding areas for anyone who was rumored to be skilled with a, a turn of the phrase or a twist of the plot, but none could be found and none would come forward. Night after night, the princess faced the darkness of her room and the darkness of her soul, raw and unceasing. She stopped eating. Her eyes were wild and seemed never to blink. No longer content to scream at everyone she encountered, she began to scream at people who were not there at all. You raccoons, stay away. I have my own shiny trinkets. More and more frustrated by his inability to find anyone willing to tell her a story, the king finally decided to attempt to tell her a story himself. With his increasingly feral daughter strapped to her bed, the king sat down next to her and tried his best. <clears throat> so, uh, let's see. I, uh, once upon a time, that's how these things generally begin, right? Once upon a time? Uh, so, so, once upon a time. <laughs> Pretty good so far, yes? Hmm. Uh, uh, um, there was a, a duck, maybe. Or a goose? Oh, let's make it a goose. Uh, there was a goose who, um, um, uh, oh, once upon a time, there was a goose who uh, enjoyed cake? Yes, yes, a goose who enjoyed cake. <laughs> oh, the end. This did not help. The king ordered the cooks to continue to bring her food in case she might suddenly change her mind. On the evening of the night, when she had had no sleep for two full weeks, the cooks brought her dinner to her room. When they took the top off the platter, revealing a succulent roast pig underneath, the princess shrieked in terror. His head! It's his head! Tell her no stories, said a voice only she heard. The princess shrieked. <coughs> Jumping up from her bed and backing away, she stepped directly out of the window and down, down, down to the ground when a sickening crack of the sound of her neck snapping bounced off the cold stone castle walls and carried for some miles around. 
Was that supposed to scare me? Did it? Malfunctioning. <coughs> I am sorry, Masters. <coughs> I am. Sorry. It was more of your ridiculous, self-aggrandizing foolishness. No one needs stories. Stories do not keep us tied to reality, Jameson and Bentley. No, indeed. They tear us from it. Masters, help me. The manual. They hide. Obscure. They tell us we are safe when we are not. The lies start in childhood until we are so lost in them that we walk to our own destructions blindly. We go to the grave, ignorant, cold, alone, but believing we are covered in fairy dust. I don't need your stories. <laughs> no one does. Hmm. You're taking this all a bit literally. Speech production corrupted. Switching into safe mode. Goodbye, masters. The two of you should know better than anyone. Haven't stories cost you enough already? Who are you? It doesn't matter. Voxbot is finished, and your stories are nothing without her. Without her bells and whistles and programmable voices, you two are just bumbling, terrified shut-ins who would hide under your beds cowering if the real world ever opened a window into your sad little existence. Is that the case? Then let us tell you one more story. You coward of a robot killer. For which, I assure you, we will have no need of sound effects. This is a story about you. If this robot should self-destruct, I assure you there will be no way you can hide from us. No place that will be safe from the terrible revenge we shall unleash upon you. The fate you shall face will make the insane screaming princess seem to have died blissfully swimming in chocolate pudding. Ah, I don't believe you have it in you. Oh, you should. For this is no metaphor. We won't tell you how. We don't need to tell you how. Hear the timbre of my voice. Look into my eyes. Envy the sleepless princess. Or step away from the fire and hand over the manual. Now. <laughs> you know, for a moment, I almost believed you could do what you say. And this tells me one thing. I have overestimated your reliance on a silly robot to create a stirring effect. If you two stuffy, milk-toast dreamers could convince me even for a moment that I was in any real danger from the likes of you, then your storytelling skills are better than I thought. That means you are likely to go on naively corrupting minds and hearts with your nonsense even without this damned robot. My plan, as well-reasoned as it may have been, has been based on a faulty premise. Well, I should say so. Take your bloody manual. It shall do you little good in your graves. He's got a gun. A very small gun. Voxbot! You're, You're alive! Massive self-destruct explosion in ten. Poor Voxbot. Nine. I'm sorry that it has to end like this, Jameson. Bentley. Your deaths were not at all what I intended. I know you don't understand that I do this for the greater good, but I do. Eight. Perhaps now, at the end, you can see a bit of the truth. Life isn't a story, and your deaths will be sad, quiet, ignoble, and almost as meaningless as your lives were. Seven. 
He can shoot us both and escape the explosion. If we rush him when he's talking, whichever one of us remains unshot need only delay him long enough for Voxbot to self-destruct. Six. We'll go out, but we'll go out having saved the world from this mad chappy. Will you stop? This is not a happy ending. Five. Well, you don't really tell too many happy endings. I prefer endings tinged with a sort of heroic sorrow myself. Four. Ah, I don't even need to shoot you. Babbling your nonsense to the end, stay and be blown to smithereens. Not me. I'll go out the window and survive like a reasonable person. Or a mad princess. He's climbing down the fire escape. After him! Jameson, we can't leave Boxbot. What? She's about to blow up, brother, and she'll take us with her. That villain may have had a point about reasonableness in this situation. But we have the manual now. And three seconds. You would stay to save me, Master Bentley, even after you proved you don't need me for your stories? Well, you silly robot, I... Wait, wait a minute. What happened to your countdown? Aren't you exploding in two seconds? I made up the countdown. Masters, I was telling a story, just like we always do. You were telling a story? You crazy robot! She saved us all. Then you aren't going to explode in two seconds. This unit will self-destruct in five minutes. Blast! We will have to let that rogue escape. We must save the Voxbot now. I'll search the manual. If we must, the programmed pain in my posterior. But a minute ago, you were going to get blown up just to... Voxbot, shh. Shut up now. The antiviral procedures must be in the manual somewhere. I can't make heads or tails of this index. You only have five minutes. You should run away before you explode. Masters. I said shut up, you silly robot. Give me the manual, Jameson. Here, brother. Does it occur to you that in order to infect Voxbot with this terrible virus and then obtain the manual, our newly met enemy must actually already have had quite a bit of access to her and to us and knowledge about us as well? I am profoundly uneasy. I am too. Hush. Conserve your energy while we repair you. I can do that in a moment. First, I've got to read the closing credits. You have been listening to the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers electronic storytime presentation of Duvoxbot's dream of electric bleeps, or the Fox, a Pox, and the Voxbot. Written by Brody H. Brocky and Justin Didovic and starring Brody H. Brocky as Bentley Brimblebanks and Justin Didovic as Jameson Brimblebanks. This episode featured the voice talents of Jared Hofford as the mysterious adversary, Heather Wing as Antilla and the French whore, Dominic Valentino as the storyteller, Cecilia Lundberg as the princess, Amanda Birch as cook and the American whore, Patrick Johnson as president electric Ben Franklin, and Scott Longfrey as the king, the mouse, and the limbo sticks. This episode's commercial was Eulogy for the Stereo Shed, written by Brody H. Brocky and Justin Didovic and starring David Melcher, Brandon Weitzel, and Thalia Schramm. This episode's musical guest was Heather Pinkham with the song Robot World. Hear more of her music at soundcloud.com slash Heather Pinkham. If you enjoyed this story and want to hear more, you can subscribe on iTunes. Plus, follow us on Facebook and Twitter for more Brimble Banks and fun. If you're a comedy writer who would like to write a phony commercial or a musician who would like to be a musical guest on a future episode, write to us at brimblebanksbrothers at gmail.com. 
Until next time, this is the VoxBot 5000 saying, keep your feet on the ground, and keep reaching for a vine or a rope or something to pull yourself to safety, before the ground swallows you whole.